electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. How high could a new Apple car drive that stock? The street is weighing in on that big question today. So, of course, is our investment committee. We'll discuss and debate that big news that our very own Phil LeBeau broke. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, Steve Weiss, Brenda Vangelo is the CIO of Sand Hill Global Advisors. Let's go check the markets as we always do. Tech, a new record high today. You take a look across the board there. The Dow Jones Industrials, uh, 30,980, a little more than three quarters of a percent. S&P, NASDAQ, pretty good as well. And we are watching the 10-year. We're watching the yield on the 10-year because it is at 114. Steve Weiss. That has a lot of people focusing on the banks, which have gotten off to a real good start this year. How about that trade right now? That trade's looking good. I had added to B of A earlier in the week. To me, they are the class act of the industry. Everybody loves J.P. Morgan. I do, too. But B of A is understated. And I hadn't been a big believer in the financials because the business models have taken a hit from companies like PayPal and from regulation. But they're well positioned to a rising, steepening yield curve. And so I think they'll do quite well. And B of A is in the ESG space. The way they look at it, the way they actually walk the talk is phenomenal. So that's why I picked it also on Goldman. I think it keeps going. I don't get worried about rates until they're at 3 percent, unless, of course, they get there tomorrow because it's always the rate of change. But the market can handle 2 percent. It can handle 2.5 percent. So I don't I'm know. fine what, with it. What I, what I find so interesting is that, you know, I think a lot of people would agree with you, although, John Nigerian, you're urging people today to lock in profits on the banks. Yeah, uh, I don't think the market, first of all, um, I love Steve, but I don't think the market could tolerate 2% at all, Stephen. I mean, if we get to 2% before June of this year, Katie, bar the door. I mean, it would be a bloodbath, Steve. Um, that's my opinion. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out. But um, what I'm doing, Scott, is I think we're going to be bouncing around in a range from roughly 95 basis points in the 10-year to maybe 125. So as we get to the upper end of that band, Scott, I am of a mind to lock in the profits that we've made since the election on these bank stocks. Everything from J.P. Morgan, which I sold at the money calls on today, Capital One, COF, sold at the money calls today. Key Bank sold at the money calls. You get the idea. Um, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, saying I don't see a lot of upside if indeed we do what I say, and that is perhaps reverse back down to the lower end of this range, Scott, rather than breaking out to the upside. Well, you, you, I mean, it sounds like you're making a broader market call, that, that the market itself is not going to handle rising rates well, so why not take your profits in the banks? But then I'm wondering, should you be looking elsewhere too? Is that your message to our viewers? No. No, um, I just think, Scott, that we're going to trade in that band, you know, call it a 30 basis point band or whatever, 
from 95 on the 10-year up to about uh, 120, maybe 125 on the upside, Scott. So I think if we're up on the upper end, which we are approaching that right now, I want to be more aggressive on selling uh, some of the uh, very good news for the banks on the steepening yield curve and saying maybe it tops out there and then starts easing back down. Doesn't mean the banks are a sale. It just means that uh, the upside is capped for some period of time, at least in my mind, for those stocks. Broad market? No. I think we're still seeing a lot of that $1 trillion that's going to get spent as soon as we hit that whatever it is, probably, Scott, 50%. I know that's not herd immunity, but once we get you know, past the 8 and 10% that we're approaching right now, 10% um, vaccinated, we get to 50%, Scott. I think you're going to see so many more businesses reporting better numbers that need people coming into those businesses, not just the online. And then that trillion dollars starts getting tapped. Yeah. You know, finally, cases are trending in the right direction. So finally is the vaccine rollout as well. Your point's well taken. And it plays into, Josh, why you've been looking uh, quite heavily, I would say, uh, towards those, you know, reopen uh, uh, trades that you've talked about, whether it's Madison Square Garden, Live Nation, uh, Alphabet, which uh, is right in that alley, too. Yeah, I don't know why you had to add heavily in there. I, I, I do my best. I have two kids, full-time job. I'm very busy. Um, but let me just tell you, I think the, the world has kind of <laughs> lost its mind a little bit. Um, I, I posted a TikTok video suggesting to people that uh, pump and hold is not a good strategy. Uh, in the meantime, I had to take comments off of that video. It seems as though there's like 100 million people right now in the markets that have forgotten what it means to get rich slowly and why that's a, a much less dramatic and much more enjoyable way to do this. So now all the meme stocks are down 70, 80 percent from their peak in just a week's time. But you've got this undercurrent of large cap, um, reasonably valued growth stocks making new record highs. It's not that hard to do this the right way. You just have to not get distracted by shiny objects or gaslit by billionaires uh, posing as folk heroes. It really isn't that hard. So let's look at the banks. I don't suggest they're all buys. JP Morgan has a very interesting setup here. I'm talking my book, um, but I've been long the stock for a long time, doing very well with it. It's about to break above the December 2019 high. It, at, its, at its lows, it got down into the 80s, believe it or not. But 143 is a meaningful level. It is, I think, one of the only mega cap banks that's going to make an all-time high. So Bank of America, Citigroup, they did these massive dilutions to survive 12 years ago. They're nowhere near record highs. J.P. Morgan meaningfully uh, is, is going to take out that record high if the rally continues. I think rising rates are good for these stocks. They don't need to rise at the rate they've been over the last five days. I think gradually rising rates as the vaccine is distributed uh, should be very, very positive. And rates are not rising at the short, at the, at, at the short end. Um, Powell's probably not raising rates until the first quarter of 22, and that's if a lot of stuff goes right. Um, and so I think you've got this setup where you could see treasuries uh, 2% plus. You could see overnight rates at zero. These large cap banks do very well in that environment, and they're still cheap. 14, 15 times earnings. Like, it's not like you're buying tech stocks that have risen this much. So that's where I stand on these names, but I like PayPal better than all the banks. 
And uh, I'd rather be in that if I had, you know, guns in my head if I had to pick one. I think Brenda's along those lines, too, right? I mean, it's fintech for you over fin uh, exclusively. Is that is that a fair way of saying it, Brenda? Well, we do have some exposure to financials, too. We have JP Morgan, um, but we do like PayPal, although I'll say with the PayPals of the world, the one thing that we're a little concerned about specifically with that company is that comparisons start to get a lot tougher in the first quarter because their business just exploded at that point. Um, so, yes, things are going incredibly well for them. They've been incredibly they've been very innovative. So that's certainly a positive. But I would agree that for the financials, I think, are, are an interesting place um, because rates uh, we haven't had a steeper yield curve for a long time. And I think it depends on why the yield curve is steepening and whether or not that really impacts the broader market. If it's steepening for the right reasons, because the economy is doing better and recovering, I don't think it's going to be as potentially disruptive as many expect it might be. And in that sort of environment, I think the financials can do a lot better. Suddenly they have more spread to deal with. Um, we're in an environment where the investment banking business has just been incredible. Uh, and nobody, I don't think, would have expected that a year ago. Um, so I think there are some good reasons to consider um, owning some of the financials. I mentioned the top of the show. Of, of course, we're all over the Apple story, too, uh, for, for obvious reasons, broken by our own Phil LeBeau, who joins us now before we kick off that conversation. He has a news alert for us on Ford. Hey, Phil. Um, Scott, this is not going to be a surprise to people who have been watching what's been happening with the automakers when it comes to the chip shortage. It is now hitting Ford where it really hurts. And we're talking about F-150 production, F-series pickup truck production. The company announcing that next week, for only one week, but this is going to be a painful cut. They're taking the Dearborn truck plant from three shifts down to one shift and the Kansas City assembly plant from three shifts down to two shifts. Essentially, they're going to be cutting their F-series production by 50% next week. That's basically what it comes down to. It's only expected for one week. But again, this is because of the chip shortage. Scott, we can't emphasize this enough. This is a global problem. I've heard people and I've gotten emails from people saying, well, why don't they just tell the chip companies to make more chips? Yeah, it's not yeah, that simple. Snap your fingers, It is right? not that simple. And Ford is in the boat with everybody else. GM announced these uh, production cuts yesterday. We've seen this from practically every automaker around the world. Yeah, I mean, during our program yesterday, I think we went to you for the General Motors news. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, your, your point's well taken. Uh, and, again, congrats on the story you, you broke on Apple. It sets us up, Phil, for our next conversation. We'll see you soon. That's Phil LeBeau there. All right, guys. Steve Weiss, I begin with you. How you like them, Apple, Steve Weiss? Mr. Apple doesn't innovate. Is this good enough for you? Yeah. Is a car okay for you, Steve Weiss? Has that finally reached your Get bar em. of innovation, Steve? Yeah, I don't think anybody's ever manufactured a car before. It absolutely fits right in with it. They're following, not leading. But yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing their car's going to have round wheels. They're not going to innovate with square wheels. Look, to me, this is a good move for Apple. Number Hate one, it. it's another source for them to sell into. Number two, it's going to be done the way Apple typically does it, which is they're not going to assume the high capital costs for building anything. I like thought they you were going to say. Taiwan I Semi. thought you were going to the, say it's going to be done the way that Apple normally does it, better than everybody else, right? It's not first mover; it's best mover. And if you're talking about autonomous and an Apple branded car, why shouldn't they get the benefit of the doubt that they'll do it better than others? Well, you're, you're making that leap. I'm not making that leap that they do things better than others. They follow others. Is their camera better than the camera on the Samsung? Did they come out with a folding screen that works? No. 
So their AirPods are great, no, but, but you like Samsung story, was there before as were others. You are a shareholder. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What they're doing is they've got a phenomenal brand. They're going to use that brand to extend their product launches into cars. It will work. Kia will absorb the capital costs. Apple will sell and get the profits. So I think it's a great thing for the car. It'll be a couple of years at least before we realize it as shareholders, but there's nothing bad with it at all. I don't find anything bad whatsoever. Yeah, no, no I think doubt. It's all I mean, positive. production's not even going to allegedly begin until around 24, 2024. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's not exactly a moonshot, uh, but it's not tomorrow either. It's going to be developed by a team at Apple, manufactured according to uh, the sources that Phil uh, talked to for his story in Georgia. Dan Ives of Wedbush, Josh Brown says, we'll add another 30 plus dollars per share of TAM total addressable market to the Apple story. We believe Apple will eclipse the three trillion dollar market cap by year end reiterate by price target 175 reform broker weigh in i've been in this stock for a long time and one of the things that was pointed out by the analysts looking at the automotive story in addition to the fact that they're going to be late to the game which is fine with them is that they tend to expand the markets that they come into the markets they come into get bigger and better as a result of apple being there so that obviously uh, was the situation with iTunes. They didn't invent MP3s. They just did it better than anyone else. And the same goes for um, smartphones. Obviously, they were 10 years late to smartphones. It didn't matter. They reinvented the whole category. So the connected car um, that, that they come out with, even if the first version isn't amazing, it's going to completely change the category in myriad ways. So that's the way I've always thought about Apple's efforts in these areas. We don't know that they'll get it right, but what we do know is there'll be a lot of attention on it. And certainly they have as good a shot as anyone of being a part of the connected electric uh, autonomous future for autos. So I'm not saying it's always going to buy the stock right now, but it's yet another thing to be excited about if you're already in the stock as I currently am. Yeah. So John Ajarian, Pete's favorite analyst, Katie Huberty, says, quote, Investors are likely to underestimate the financial impact of a potential Apple car, especially when considering the effect that Apple's entrance into other markets has had on the addressable opportunity. Exactly the point that Josh is making. She has overweight rating just for those who, uh, who don't follow her research every day. Her price target is 164. Again, Dan Ives is 175. Evercore sticks with their price target of 160. What makes sense to you today, Doc? Apple's 136. I think it's where it should be today, Scott, based on how far out into the future this car is. Um, and I, I do agree with the other comments from Josh and Steve as far as uh, that this is going to be something that, of course, they didn't invent the car. Um, and they didn't invent the connected car either. But to the extent that Apple makes all of this better, um, I think that's going to be something that's a differentiator. It's going to be great for Hyundai slash Kia. And I think it's going to be great for Apple and all the Apple, you know, the billion plus Apple users. That's not lost on the folks over there in Korea, Scott, I'm sure, that there are a billion installed Apple users on this planet already. Any nudge of that uh, uh, indicator over into those cars as a decision maker versus another car is huge. So look for them to cut a very tough deal 
as I'm sure we would all anticipate anyway, they'll cut a tough deal with these guys, much like they did with the App Store. Um, you know, taking 30% of the upside of somebody else's work is nice work if you can get it, Scott. And I think similarly, um, getting a piece of somebody else's sweat and equity and brand and building mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. what it took to be that car is something that's going to be huge for Hyundai slash Kia. And obviously, Apple's going to be making money on somebody else's sweat yet again. You know, it's a brilliant business plan. Everybody is, you know, rightfully uh, giddy, uh, I think, at the prospects today of Apple potentially doing this. I don't hear too many people considering or talking about the potential risks to Apple, though our own Josh Lipton has been thinking a lot about that. He's as plugged in as anybody in terms of what Apple's up to, not only now, but what they may do in the future. What do you think about that, Josh? So I, I, it's great discussion, Scott. I think, you know, take a step back. Apple has dipped its toe in the auto market already, right? So you think about CarPlay. You think about them building out technologies for Apple Maps. But if you're telling me that Apple is really considering pulling the trigger here and mass producing a car, um, I would argue that is its biggest, boldest, most ambitious bet yet. You are way past phones and tablets or wearables. I think with a car, you are just putting your brand on the line in a way I don't think you have before and a lot of money on the line. And, you know, Tim Cook, I don't think is doing this unless he thinks he would be able to develop some type of product here that really is unique and special and different and category redefying. I think that's the only way that Cook really does this. Um, he would want to see it kind of upend and disrupt uh, the car market like the iPhone did for the handset market. And in terms of what that could be, I thought Phil LeBeau's own reporting is really interesting there. According to Phil's sources, what Apple's thinking here is it's got to be autonomous. That um, electric, no great shakes, that's not going to do it. They want autonomous. That technology is not here yet. You are years out. Maybe it's 24 or 25, but that seems to be what you're looking for here. Um, I think one interesting thing to keep in mind, though, too, as we talk about this story, you know, Apple is talking to different people. Phil's told us that. And he, I'm sure Tim uh, and his lieutenants there, Luca and Jeff and Eddie, they're all talking to these folks. They're trying to gauge, you know, what does ma makes the most strategic sense, the most financial sense. Mm -hmm. When you talk about Apple, they have a kind of financial flexibility that few companies on earth do. They got a net cash position, $84 billion. So it's also possible that they experiment, they throw a lot of money at this, build a bunch of prototypes, and then ultimately decide, walk up to the line and pull it back. They can just afford to do that. It's a flexibility that not a lot of other companies do have. I mean, yeah, to your point, right? They're sitting on a mountain of cash. They've taken advantage of the debt markets with rates low and and where they've been. The other Josh wants in on the conversation too, Mr. Lipton. So here's Josh Brown. Yeah, I just, I want to, I want to just, I don't disagree with what, um, what the, the uh, lesser Josh just said, <laughs> but the greater Josh just wants to make it clear. Apple is not planning to mass produce cars. That's what the relationship with Kia is about. Apple's going to be the intelligent part of the car and they'll have a lot of manufacturing involved, but they don't make the phones either. Like, yeah, let's, but that, let's, that, that I think is actually, a, I just, I think there is a risk there, though. You know, I, I, that's another headache, I think, that Cook would have to decide, do I want to take on? You know, he doesn't make the phones. You get right. to a certain. Fo Foxconn does, right? But now, if you're going to make cars right. in Georgia, do I really want to deal with all the scrutiny I'm going to get for those auto workers, labor, 
Benny's wages. I'm going to take all of that on. I think that is just another headache you'd have to think about whether it's worth getting in there. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. The, 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 key, the key with this is that when you get to the size Apple is, it's very hard to move the needle. Like, if they announce that they're going to start building smart homes, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Because at a certain point, like, what else can you do that's not just incremental at the size they are and the, and the cash balance, Josh, that you point out? Um, but I think there's a contingent of Apple shareholders that rightfully say, like, when, is he, when are you guys going to swing? Right. When are you going to take some risks? Like, all right, we love the AirPods. It was a huge product, huge success. But like, what's the next next thing? So Alphabet doesn't have that problem. They're swinging quantum computers, autonomous vehicles, et cetera. So people want to see Apple take that swing. I agree. It's not a, a layup, but that's what the cash is for. That's what the financial flexibility is for. So, again, it's a long time before we can judge the results. Right. But I do agree with you. That's the debate. I mean, Josh Lipton, for a company that's been, you know, pretty risk averse to to Josh Brown's point, if you can be to, to the degree that you can be with the kinds of products that they've that they've d- developed. Uh, right. They haven't done big deals. Uh, they've been sitting on that cash waiting for the opportunity. Last word to you on this. Um, maybe this is it. Yeah, no, biggest deal ever, $3 billion for Beats, Scott. Uh, I think it tells you a lot about the culture. Listen, I could absolutely sit here and I can make a really strong case of why Tim Cook should make, should, should make this move, right? Because to Josh's point, it's a really big market. He's got the deep pockets, $84 billion net cash. He's brought a lot of the technologies in-house that actually might be helpful if you were developing this product. So think cameras and batteries and sensors. He's clearly proven his team knows how to seamlessly integrate hardware, software, and services in ways uh, that products, popular products that people want. Um, I'm just curious to see whether when he weighs it all, he decides to make that move. Remember, in the past, we have been here before where you had a lot of rumors and reports of speculation. Remember about Apple Television? It was all over the place. Some really high-profile analysts, you know, on CNBC talking about it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that never did launch. Yeah. Uh, believe me, I'm getting an email from somebody who says, will the Apple car be uh, like the long-awaited Apple TV? So your point is, is, is well taken. Uh, welcome back, East. Good having you on the half, man. We'll, we'll see you again. Thank that's, you. That's Josh Lipton there. Just sum it up for me, uh, Brenda, quickly, because we didn't hear from you. You are a shareholder, too. Just give me your thought, and if you could do it briefly, please. Sure. We're a shareholder, too. And I don't want to sound like we're not long-term thinkers, because I do think this is an interesting opportunity for Apple. But I think over the shorter term, looking at this year, what we are worried about is that people spent a lot of money on consumer electronics in 2020. It was a necessity. And so we are a little concerned that some of that business, some of the growth could soften, uh, certainly as we look into 2021 and potentially 2022, when we consider how much buying happened this past year. But we continue to like Apple glad that they're becoming more innovative and and willing to take a big step here. Um, So continue to like the stock, uh, but we are slightly underweight, excuse me, the stock relative to our benchmark. I'm going to come back to you in in, in a few minutes. I know you own the next stock we're going to talk about, too. Big story today, of course, is the move that Ken Frazier, the CEO of Merck, is making to become executive chairman. Our Meg Terrell, in fact, has a news alert regarding Merck. I'll bring her in now. Meg, I think you just got off the phone with Mr. Frazier. Is that right? I did, Scott. I'd sent him a note this morning just saying, you know, I'd love to talk with you about sort of your your career and your reflections on that career. And, you know, my phone rang. It was Ken Frazier. Uh, we had a 20-minute long conversation where he really reflected on, on what he'd accomplished at Merck, but also what comes next. He said public service is what's in his future. There's been speculation he might run for office. He said that is not currently 
in his plans, uh, not in my plans was his exact quote on, on running for office. He said public service does not have to involve politics. His passions and focuses have involved equity, justice, and education. He, of course, uh, is a co-founder of the 110 Initiative to close the opportunity gaps for black Americans. Um, so those are things that he has focused on even as being CEO of Merck. You know, I asked him why now is the right time to, to resign as CEO of Merck. And he noted, of course, they had already extended the time when CEOs normally stay. He's over the age of 65, and they actually allowed him to stay longer than that. He'd been CEO for a decade. Um, and he said Merck's long-range plan looks very strong. One of the things he really wanted to emphasize is just how important the employees of Merck um, have been to the company's success. And, you know, we talked a lot about Keytruda, that huge cancer immunotherapy drug, of course. He said, quote, it's the people of Merck. It was their commitment, their dedication, their brilliance, their perseverance that led to a number of important products coming to the marketplace. And my role, he said, was to get out of their way and give them the resources and the peace and quiet to do what they did. You know, he was one of the last employees, if not the last, to be hired by Roy Vagelos, who's that legendary CEO of Merck. Uh, and he said when he became CEO, Vagelos told him the most important things are how many people can you help and how much can you help them? So I asked him, how did he feel he did on that? He said, I did all right. Scott, back to you. Yeah, he's been an important corporate voice. Uh, there's no doubt about that, Meg. And it's, it's good news for everybody that he's not going too far. Not going too far. He'll still be executive chairman, at least for the time being. Meg, thanks. Appreciate you bringing those comments to us. So, Brenda, I'm going to come back to you. You do own Merck. Um, this have any bearing on the investment that you're holding? I mean, 10-year stock performance has been great, up 131%, you know, relatively speaking, for stocks that typically don't move all, you know, all, all you know, that much. Right. I mean, we're sad to see it can go, but I don't think this impacts, it, this doesn't impact the reason that we own uh, Merck, which really, you know, this company has been more impacted than others within the pharmaceutical space it, within the COVID environment because so much of their uh, uh, vaccines and therapies are administered in person. Um, so we expect that to continue to um, recover um, and more so as the year goes on and things reopen more meaningfully. But we also, uh, you know, are, are feel positively about things like Keytruda, which continue to grow pretty meaningfully. And we think about um, the industry overall uh, within the pharma space and just um, the banter about drug pricing and so on. The fact that they are creating drugs that are important, you know, when you're creating a cancer drug, I think there is a reason why you can charge a premium in some cases versus other other pharmaceuticals out there. Uh, so we continue to like the same. I think it's under, you know, it's um, not undiscovered, but it really is overlooked and it's uh, relatively inexpensive. So we continue to like it here. OK, we'll take a quick break. Up next, we've got the investment committee's latest moves. We've got to talk about Qualcomm, too. Because Steve Weiss owns it. It got downgraded. Stock, as I see it now, is down about 9%. So we got to get Weiss's take on that for all of you who own it, too. Plus, Goldman Sachs' head of commodities, Jeffrey Curry, is going to join us. We'll get his take on oil surge, silver, whatever else he thinks you can make money in in the commodities complex. We'll do that in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is halting U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's offensive in Yemen, which has been blamed for a humanitarian crisis there. Biden also stopping the withdrawal of many U.S. troops from Germany, which had been ordered by former President Trump. The head of a private equity fund and two associates have been charged with running a Ponzi scheme that raised $1.8 billion from thousands of investors. New York's attorney general says victims were defrauded out of more than $700 million. The Associated Press says Roman Catholic dioceses and institutions received more than $3 billion from the Paycheck Protection Program, making them some of the biggest beneficiaries of that program. And in Russia, video obtained by the Associated Press shows 20 detainees in a small cell without mattresses. They are some of the thousands being held for protesting the arrest of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. The Russian government says the arrests were a necessary response. You are up to date. Scott, I will send it back to you. Okay, Sue, thank you for that. Sue Herrera. Let's talk some Qualcomm now with the gang. Right now, pacing for the worst day in about 10 months since March of 2020. Uh, they got their earnings, EPS beat, revenues were a miss. Steve Weiss, stock's down about 9%, 8.5%, as we see there. You own it, downgraded to neutral today from buy. Target goes to 165 from 194, that at City. What do you think now? Are you, you staying in or are you going to get out? No, no, I'm not getting out. Uh, it, first of all, it was a terrible final trade on Monday's show along with Corvo. Uh, but here's how I look at it. They're going to earn $7 next year. That's up from $4 this year. That's dirt cheap. And as you heard with Apple, with autonomous cars, they are now going into everything, including your Peloton, cars, the chip shortage. That's Qualcomm. As they said in the call, they fell short on revenues and on sales, which would have been, I'm sorry, earnings which would have been bigger because they were supply constrained, like we heard from Ford, like we heard from GM. So the quarter would have been better, but for that. I'm definitely staying there. City downgraded said the 5G cycle is over. To me, that's just an asinine call. It literally just started, and they run for 10 years. And this is a transformative technology. It's not a mobile-only network technology. I also added to Corvo. Corvo blew it out. They beat estimates by 80%. They're going to earn 7-plus this year and 10 next year. It's growing. Revenues grew at 34%. Earnings grew at over 50%. So you got to be crazy to sell these stocks. Fired so, up. no, I added to that as well. My core positions now have trading positions in them as well. Sounds a little fired up. I, I get it. I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. Very fired up. You got me fired up on Apple. That's right. I knew I, I knew I would. That's why I went to you first. Uh, John Najarian, uh, you win <laughs> some, you lose some. Your calls are going to expire worthless that you had here. I don't know how much you risked for that, but, you know, that's what happens sometimes. 
Absolutely, Scott. And we're right down at a somewhat critical support level. So for Stephen, uh, you know, getting in at this 145-ish level, which is where we traded down to this morning, um, is some support that goes back several months. So if someone wanted to uh, uh, follow Steve and perhaps me, because I still like the stock as well, I would be willing to establish some trades right around that 145 level, Scott, and sell perhaps a 155 against it. Uh, doesn't mean it has to rebound. We know stocks don't have to do anything, but this is a level that has looked pretty good on the chart. Um, if it doesn't hold 145-ish level, uh, then it could be heading to 122, but I don't really think so given the demand side and the outlook that they offered last night. Okay, let's pivot and talk commodities because from silver to crude oil, those markets have been full of activity, as you know, lately after some big runs. So where is the best place to put your money now? Let's ask Goldman Sachs Global Head of Commodities, Jeff Curry. Welcome back. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Have me. You know, I'm looking at crude right now for what had a forehandle, it seemed like, for such a long time is at 56 WTI, three quarters of a percent higher. Are we going to be talking about 60 bucks in the near future? Very near future. Um, these markets, you know, oil and metals, all of them are much tighter than what anybody thought was possible six months ago. And oil in particular is the one that's the most exposed to the vaccine rollout because you get that uptick in demand. There's no supply. OPEC came out yesterday, not you know, showing no willingness to raise production means there's a high probability they get behind the curve, markets tight further as we go into the second half of next year. Our target's 65, but I think there's a, you know, a high probability you could overshoot that. But I thought pre-COVID, we already had a supply-demand imbalance that we were producing so much you know, here in the United States and, and elsewhere, that, that, that imbalance was already a, an issue. Why wouldn't it continue to be? Um, negative oil prices, number one. ESG, number two. Great returns in tech, number three. And no capital. And that's essentially the problem. You know, you look at CapEx in oil, it's down 40 to 70 percent, depending on where you are in the world. And remember, oil has decline rates, meaning if you don't invest, it begins to deteriorate. And these decline rates are beginning to set in. And then you have to ask yourself, who's going to invest in oil when we now have a blueprint um, in the U.S., China and Europe for energy transition? So even if the prices spike, it's unlikely you're going to see a significant amount of capital to run in and start investing in future oil supplies. I mentioned the other day, um, you know, as silver had become this story because of the short squeeze attempt, uh, that it was already your favorite metal market, at least precious, uh, I, I think we're talking about maybe all across the whole complex. Uh, why so? It has two components. It has everything that gold has. It has that debasement story in terms of, you know, we've printed a lot of um, dollars in terms of fiscal policy, monetary policy. Uh, however, what silver has that gold doesn't have, it goes into solar panels. And so you get that added boost that a lot of that spending fiscal policy is going to be green CapEx. That green CapEx goes into solar panels and then silver is the biggest benefactor. So I like to say it's a turbocharged version of gold. 30 to 33 bucks is your target. Josh Brown uh, is on my panel today. He has a question for you. He recently bought into the SLV uh, and then Pan American as, as well. Josh, go ahead. Yeah, Jeff, I just want to push back against something you said, not because I think you're wrong, but I want you to clarify it. 
You point out that it would be impossible for retail investors to force a, a squeeze in something like silver and the differences between cornering a commodity versus squeezing a stock. Um, but I remember 10 years ago, there was a moment when GLD, the gold ETF, had more assets in it in dollar terms than the SPY. And I do think that GLD was moving the price of gold. I, I can imagine a similar situation um, with, with silver and the silver ETF if people get excited enough about it where what happens in the markets ends up influencing what happens with the actual metal in real life. You're saying you don't think that that's a possibility? I mean, you're talking 900 million ounces in the ETF versus a 25 billion ounce market. And by the way, the, the, but the those billion ounces market, don't move. But the, the silver market, just is, and then you, go on. They just but sit. Those other ounces just sit. They don't move. Right, but the vast, I mean, you look at the flows going in and out of these ETFs, they're not that big. But, but I guess my question is, forget the ETF. Um, in terms of thinking about how are you going to create a squeeze, the shorts are the ETFs. The ETFs buy the physical, they turn around and they sell on the COMEX to be able to hedge that physical position like any other corporate. It's right. not a naked short like an inequity. But here's the main reason why I don't think it's possible to squeeze one of these markets uh, like what the Hunt brothers did in 1980, you got position limits in these markets and they've gotten tighter and tighter. There's seven and a half million ounces right now, um, which means that if you were to squeeze it, you would have to divvy up the position to get the inventory off the exchange 53 times, which each position worth $217 million and then do it in a coordinated fashion. Mm -hmm. That's why I say it's incredibly unlikely. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks yeah. for being here. Good to get your perspective today. Great. Jeff Curry, Goldman Sachs. All right, up next, John Nigerian's got new unusual activity trades, plus in celebration of Black History Month, we're honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is Tiffany McGee with her own personal story about taking risks. When I was about five years old, my dad quit his corporate job to be an entrepreneur. So the next day, he went and sold hats and gloves on the street corner in the middle of a snowstorm. He eventually grew his business into two retail stores. He taught me how to take risks. And now, with the launch of my new firm, Pivotal Advisors, I'm the first African-American woman, first Afro-Latina, to have an institutional investment advisory OCIO firm in the country. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. CNBC has a financial wellness and education initiative in partnership with Acorns, the saving and investing app called Invest in You. Ready, set, grow. Our next guest, Andrew Whitworth, is a 15 year NFL veteran, left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams and a 2020 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year nominee. And he joins us now. Welcome. Congratulations on the nomination. 
Hey, thank you so much, Scott. I'm happy to be here. I watched a video in which they're going to show on Saturday night during the honors in which you say, and I quote, as cool as it is every Sunday for fans to come and cheer us on, it means the world to me to go back and pay that back. And and you certainly are. $250,000 donation to a a food bank in Los Angeles, $50,000 to help save a a black-owned small business near SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. You've been helping people out your whole life. Yeah, Scott, to me, it's just always been the opportunity since I've been given in life and and really have had the opportunity to have an amazing NFL career. Uh, Every step along the way, I wanted to make sure I gave back and and try to make a difference in the community I played in and the communities that I grew up in, um, because I think to me, that's the greatest gift I can give is all the support and people that have always been behind me to give back to those communities and say thank you. We're we're excited about your STEAM program, S-T-E-A-M. Uh, and there are labs that you funded in L.A. schools. Tell us about that. Yeah, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago. I was really looking for something to do in the L.A. area. Um, I had had a couple chances to visit some of the schools and and uh, do some bike giveaways and different things that I really enjoyed. But I started to ask myself, how can I you know, dig in deeper and really do something that not just a gift, but something that can make a difference for the kids and could really give them an opportunity to, to level the playing field a little bit in their school system. And so I uh, decided that this would be an idea. And Molly Higgins of the Rams uh, helped me out a bunch with coming up with some ideas for different programs. And we thought these labs would be a great, great starting point. And uh, it's really been cool to see the excitement and, and how much it's meant to the school system for us to get a part of this. You, you feel like we're in a new era of sorts for, for athlete activism and community involvement? I really do. I mean, you look at it through time. I mean, athletes and, and the way people look up to uh, all our sports athletes across the many different things get people play uh, all across the world. Um, you really think of that impact that you have when people are looking at you. Um, I think uh, Charles Barkley is obviously famous for saying that, you know, he doesn't want to be your mentor to your kids and those things. But kids are looking at you and they are seeing what we can do and, and the impact that we have on our playing fields. And so for us to get back in the community and use those voices and use that power for good and for change and for the opportunity to make something better than we found it, I think that's something we can't take lightly and we have to take advantage of. We applaud your efforts for doing that. Lastly, who do you like on Sunday? I know you wily veterans like to stick together. Are you a Brady guy? You know, I do have to usually go with the old guys. You know, when, when you're, you're old like me, uh, you, you stick with the older players. And you know what? I, I don't know if you can pick against Tom Brady these days because uh, it's, it's quite unbelievable what he's been able to achieve in his career. And uh, you know what? Those guys, the Buccaneers, seem like they're playing really well. So I think they're going to be a tough team to beat. You've been doing it 15 years. You're coming back next year, right? That's the plan, Scott. We're looking forward to the opportunity to come back. And uh, as long as everything goes well this offseason, I can't wait for that opportunity to go into my 16th year in the NFL. All right. You'll be uh, blocking for a new quarterback, too. So we'll see how that goes. We wish you well. Good luck on Saturday night. Hey, thank you so much. All right. Congratulations to you. That's Andrew Whitworth of the Los Angeles Rams joining us there. To read more about this, you can go to CNBC.com forward slash invest in you. We should also note NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. We're back in two minutes. Let's do the futures outlook now. The 10-year Treasury yield is rising as jobless claims fall to their lowest level in two months. Let's bring in Bill Baruch. For that trade, uh, where are we going now? Well, 114, we talked about it at the top of our show in relation to what the bank stocks are doing. What do you think? 
Scott, thanks for having me on. You know, I've been mapping this move with you going back to October when the 10-year was at 60 to 70 basis points. And I think we are going higher in the yields. Listen, though, I am a treasury bull, meaning I do think yields go lower for longer in the long term. But this is intermission. So I, I do think we're going to continue to see the 10-year go lower, yields higher as inflation shows up. And, and ultimately, PCE last Friday, 1.5%. We saw the unit labor costs pick up pretty big here. Some data is distorted given the pandemic and whatnot. But overall, I think inflation is showing up. We're presented with one of two circumstances. Either the economy really improves over the coming months, and, the, and overall the yields continue to rise because of that, or we do we de need more fiscal stimulus to, to uh, jumpstart the economy, and then yields are going to rise from that as well from the more, more supply. I'm sticking with my trade. I'm short at 137. Sell 137 in the 10-year March. Stop at 138, risking 1000 bucks. The downside target is 134.5. It's a $2,500 profit. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for that trade. Bill Baruch, Blue Line Futures. Up next, unusual activity and final trades. Welcome back. Dr. J, we're going to do unusual activity, but I'm doing this first because it plays into it, perhaps. Uh, Netflix shares are rising on a report okay. today uh, out of Japan from the Nikkei. Netflix to raise prices by as much as 13 percent, according to that publication. I don't have any more details for you on that. But, John, you could talk that of uh, what you see and then do unusual for us, please. Yeah, Scott, uh, upside call buying big time about 35 minutes ago. That started bang as soon as that release came out. They're also, I guess, raising prices in the U.K., Scott. So Japan and the U.K. both seeing price increases. They bring it here. I think that goes right to the bottom line of Netflix, Scott. As far as unusual activity, I've got two of them, both high flyers. JetBlue, they were buying the March 18 calls, but the stock's 15 and a half, so I bought the 15s, sold the 17s. Second one, also a high flyer. This is AGEN. That's Oncology. Uh, they're buying the March 6 calls, uh, and this is about a $5 stock, Scott. So I bought the at-the-money five calls, and I look to sell higher strikes if it rallies. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Let's do final trades. Brenda, why don't you start Thank us you, off? Sir. Sure. TJX. So this is a company I think is well positioned here now and as well as for a reopening. Okay. Thank you for that. Steve Weiss. Skyworks. Stock hit 190 after the quarter. They are not suffering shortages because they have their own fabs, so they can capitalize on the shortages of others. This stock should go a lot higher, growing like a weed, selling a big discount to the market. Okay. Josh Brown. Uh, staying long, J.P. Morgan. Follow me on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. John Dejerian. <laughs> um, I got another oncology stock, Scott, so maybe there's something going on in this sector. V-E-R-U, big upside call buying. I bought that during the show. Okay, yeah, big uh, move in that stock today, 15%. Guys, thank you. Uh, good conversation today. Thanks so much for watching as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.